I am fully convinced that we are a culture that loves to say things that we have no clue what they mean. I think we picked this up young. Uh, my five-year-old says things all the time. She has no clue what she's talking about, but she's learned these words. We were um, in a, as much of an argument as you will be in with a parent and a five-year-old the other day, and I was explaining to my daughter why she was wrong, and she was trying to explain to me why she was right. And I went on for like this great five-minute exposition of truth. I mean, it was powerful, y'all. I mean, it would have won in any court of law. It was nice. It was age-appropriate. And I'm thinking, I have just connected with my daughter. She understands. There was a pause. We were in the car. There was a pause from the back seat. Uh, my wife sitting beside of me, I could tell she was a little impressed, like somehow I had raised above my normal bar and communicated with excellent clarity and power. And after a few moments of silence, my daughter chimes in, well, dad, it's my opinion that, and I'm like, do you even know what an opinion is? And she goes, no, but it's my opinion that, and so, I, it, you know, she happened to get right. We have all these kinds of crazy things that we say all the time that, I that maybe at one point in time they used to have meaning, but they're no longer relevant, but we just keep saying them. Like, let me give you an example. How many of you in the last six months, the last six months, okay, have heard someone say, madder than a wet hen? Raise your hand. Last six months. All right, now look around the room. Now listen, I don't know where the rest of you all live. I don't, I've never, I don't know that I've ever seen a hen, like, just randomly around. I don't, I don't, I don't, or do they really get that much more mad than other animals? I have no idea. I, they must be terrified of water. I, I don't, I don't understand. I understand that if you look it up, there's some meaning to it that would have applied a hundred years ago and made sense when everybody had farms and you had to, like, get your own chickens. I go to Kentucky Fried Chicken to get my chicken. I know nothing about a mad, wet hen. Bojangles, yeah, it was the same thing. I'm there. I just don't understand. I'll give you another one. People say, people say this, man, how you doing today? Man, finer than a frog hair. I want to be like, frogs don't have hair. There, there are no hair. There, there, some do. Some do, I know. But most don't. And so here's what I understand. I get that they're saying that there is that, you know, it, it's great. It's, it's, but it doesn't, even, it doesn't make sense. And if you begin to think critically through such things, it just becomes, it becomes hard. I say uh, close but no cigar all the time. I, I heard in elementary school, we used to have these math problems, and I had this teacher, it was around third grade. And they would always say to me, because I never got it right, Daniel, close but no cigar. And I'm thinking, at some point, did they give third graders like cigars if they got the math problem? I have no idea where these things come from. There's lots of them. Um, my stepdad used to say all the time, straight from the horse's mouth. I don't even know where that has any relevance. Somebody have to like Google that, do research, and help me out. I don't, I don't think horses talk. I thought elephants were the ones that were honest anyway. I don't, I don't understand. So there's all kinds of stuff like this around in our culture. And if you just think for a little bit, you'll think of all these kind of crazy ones. These are just random ones that came up in my mind as I was thinking it through. We do this all the time as Christians too, all the time. Uh, sometimes they're just things that are wrong. Sometimes they're things that are indifferent, just like these. Um, sometimes we just forget meanings of things, but we do this all the time. I mean, things that'll get really personal, like <sighs> we say things like, ask Jesus into your heart. You know, that's nowhere in the Bible. 
There's no charge for us to do that. By the way, Jesus is the God-man. And Jesus never, like, gets in your heart. The Holy Spirit indwells us. It's a, it's a thing that we do and we say all the time, and we kind of know what we mean by it, and what we mean by it makes sense and is okay, but the statement itself doesn't make sense. But we say it all the time. We say things like, man, the Holy Spirit showed up in that place today. All right? We say things like that. I want you to know if you're a believer and you're in that place, the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. The Holy Spirit is in that place. We, don't, he, we can sing or pray that he be sent down. He's already been sent down if you're a believer. He indwells you. This is what the Bible teaches us. But we say these things, and we say these things because we kind of know what we mean by it. We, we know that we're talking about a real emotional, feeling, felt presence of the Lord. He has manifested himself in a way that we obviously recognize and take note of. But he was there. See, I think we do these things a lot in our culture, and um, we don't stop and really critically think through all the things that we say and all the, our little sayings and those little things to evaluate them. I think one of the things, one of the areas we do that the most is in what we sing, what we sing. Especially if you're someone like me in confession, I don't sing. I don't, I, music just isn't the thing that drives me. I come and I worship and I make my joyful noise because scripture tells me to. But it's not the thing that just drives me. And there's some of you like that and some of you are on the other side. But here's what happens. After I sing something for like the thousandth time, like I'm singing it, but my mind is like somewhere else. Some of us drive this way. You know what I'm talking about? You like, you leave your house and then you kind of snap out of it and you're at your destination and you're like, that's scary. How did that happen? But you're just so used to it. You just zone out. And sometimes when we sing, I think that's what we do. And we don't pay attention to the very words that we're singing. We could sing heresy and we would just go right on through. We could sing an amazing, powerful truth that could change our lives and we just go on through. One of those uh, lyrics that we sing often is in the song that we just sang this morning. And it is that for freedom... Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And we sing that, but I don't know that we ever pause to think, what on earth does that statement mean? Well, if you're free, aren't you set free for freedom? I mean, that, doesn't that just kind of make sense? I mean, why would you even sing such a thing? It just seems redundant. Wouldn't you just say, I've been set free? This morning, we're going to study the book of Galatians. It's where we find ourselves in the story as a church as we are reading through uh, the Bible together. And the question that I want you to kind of keep in your mind is, what on earth does that mean? That for freedom, we have been set free. That's kind of our theme. And it'll lead us to a statement that we're going to see reinforced through the whole book of Galatians. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, I knew it, little, I knew it was Thanksgiving weekend. I knew, I, man, this is heavy stuff this morning. It's heavy stuff. For some of you, it's going to seem really simple and redundant. For others of you, you're going to go, whoa. It's heavy stuff. So give me your attention for the next few minutes. Open up your mind. Open up your heart. Pray that the Lord would begin to give you wisdom from his word. But understand, we're going to dig deep, and I'll just go ahead and confess I have much more of a lesson to teach than a sermon to preach. That's another thing we kind of say, and we make distinction that isn't necessarily in Scripture, but it's, it, you get my point. 
I don't have a very well-organized sermon to follow. I have a much better lesson to teach. And so we're going to walk through Galatians and see what Paul is writing and why he's writing it and why it's significant for us. But the key statement that we will see is, For freedom Christ has set us free through faith. For freedom Christ has set us free through faith. So a couple of summary verses that will help kind of, you know, just get us ready. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. See, those words that we sing, somebody didn't just make those up. They, they're in Scripture. They are rooted in the inerrant Word of God. Paul writes and he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So, before Christ, a few observations, before Christ... We were slaves. This is important. Before Christ, we were slaves. We know this because the verse says, and do not submit again. In other words, don't go back to what you were before. Before you were in Christ, what were you? You were under a yoke of slavery. So before Christ, you need to understand you were a slave. This is important. In Christ... You have been set free. At the moment of justification, at the moment in which you place saving faith in Christ, and through His account, God declared you righteous. He hasn't made you that yet. He has declared you that. But that promise, because it is a promise of God, is as good as done. It is something that we can rest in. It's not of ourselves, it's of Christ. And so it is as good as done. At that very moment, you have been set free. And so now, in Christ, we are charged not to go back and live like we did when we were slaves. But we have been set free for freedom. We'll unpack that a little bit later. Another verse I want you to see is in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Because an important question is, how then are we set free? How then are we set free? He says, yet we know that a person is not justified, declared righteous, by works of the law. In other words, you can't earn it, you can't do enough good things, you can't just be right enough to be justified. The law will not justify you. But through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified or saved by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. A couple observations real quick to help kind of, again, set the stage. The law does not justify us. Justification does not come by the law. Justification comes by faith in Jesus Salvation comes through faith. And we say that often. We believe that, I hope. If you're in Christ, you know that to be true. Paul is going to write to those of us who have claimed this, who have placed faith in Christ, and is now compelling us to understand what it means to live in that faith. And to not attempt to add to it or confuse it with the works of the law. See, there's a cultural context in Galatians uh, that is not necessarily as strong for us today. 
But the hurdle still exists. We just live in our own cultural context. In Galatians, they were dealing with a major issue. The Jewish believers who were anchored into the law of the Old Testament had been given certain instructions about the way they should live. Who was really in the family of God and who wasn't. And now, post-Jesus, Gentiles are coming to faith in Jesus. And this created a huge problem. The whole middle section of Acts deals with this problem. Whole books, whole epistles of Paul deal with this problem. It is the tension of the New Testament. What do we do with the Gentiles? And what they're really asking at the core of it is what is necessary for salvation? Can it really just be faith and faith alone? See, that's the question. They're asking that. They're struggling with that. And there are huge, huge matters, some more important than others. The biggest one is circumcision. I know it's awkward to get in a big group of people and talk about circumcision. But you need to understand, if you go back all the way to Abraham, all the way back into Genesis, God established circumcision as the sign of his covenant with Abraham and his descendants. In other words, his people. And he was very, very diligent and specific to command them and to charge them to be circumcised. And when he writes this covenant, when he gives this covenant to Abraham, he clearly tells Abraham that you are to circumcise every member of your family, every male of your family, listen, and even of your slaves, even of the people who are there, even of the people that are around you, listen, because you cannot be in the covenant. You cannot be my people and not be circumcised. To not be circumcised in the eyes of the Hebrew people would to be outside of the family of God. This is why in the New Testament when Stephen says to them, to the Sanhedrin, you uncircumcised of heart, they stone him. Because he looks at them and says, you are not in the family of God. It was powerful and it is anchored in the revealed truth of who God is and how he's revealed for us to live it's there in our old testament and it's strong and it is specific and now all of a sudden these gentiles who don't practice the food laws who aren't circumcised who the old testament man that's their life is far from it have now placed faith in Jesus and there are jewish believers who are still struggling with what do I do with the law? And what is the law's role? And they're coming up to people like you and me who are Gentiles. And they're saying, listen, I'm glad that you have faith, but if you're really with God, you're going to have to start doing some of these things. And so there's tension about who really is in the family of God. And it's this tension that is the context for the book of Galatians. And so this morning what we're going to do is I told you we're going to teach a little bit. We're going to walk through three parts. All right, And the three parts will seem a little bit disjointed. But as we walk through them, they're going to connect in the end. There are three really important parts to see what Paul is saying here in the book of Galatians. The first part is understanding freedom through slavery. Freedom through slavery. Slavery is the illustration that Paul uses to speak and help us understand what he's talking about. 
He speaks of this all throughout the book of Galatians, but what I'm going to ask you to do this morning is go with me to Romans chapter 6. We don't have time there. What I want you to do is just mark it in your Bible. The reason I'm taking you to Romans is because in Romans chapter 6, more so than anywhere, Paul unpacks this illustration. He explains how we were once slaves in sin and how we are now slaves to righteousness. And it's basically that whole back half section of Romans chapter 6, and it's one of those things, we don't have time this morning to read it all, but make note, and this afternoon go back and read it. A couple of points. First, apart from Christ, we are slaves of sin. That's why in our song this morning we sang, our chains of sin. Our chains of sin. Romans 6, 17 says, You who were once slaves of sin. The first step in understanding freedom is understanding sin. See, if we don't understand sin and our slavery to it, we won't fully understand freedom. Sin is more than the bad actions that we do. You've got to see past that. See, sin, we begin at a very elementary sin of thinking it's the bad thing that we do. And true, that's sin. Murder is sin. But murder does not happen apart from a source. You understand? It's like, it's like a gun. You know, we always hear the, 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 the political debate about guns and how that works. And the argument that the pro-gun people always say is a gun never just killed somebody. It's just a tool. Well, in a very similar way, we can look at sin. Sin, murder doesn't just happen without a source. Yes, it's an example of sin. It's an illustration of sin. It's sin in practice. But see, what we need to understand is sin is who we are. It's not just things we do. Sin is who we are. It owns us. It owns us. We are enslaved to it. We are its slaves. It is built into our nature. And Scripture teaches us that all of us are sinful. Listen, to make the, the extreme point to kind of get there and help, help, you know, even our kids are sinful. My five-year-old's sinful. She was sinful when she was one month. Listen, sinful. You're also one God, this is an important thing to think through. It's hard. It's a hard truth to wrestle with. Remember, I said there's things we get to do in our smaller family on the things. When you go back into the Old Testament, remember, when Israel comes through Canaan, God tells them to kill every man, woman, child, baby. Why? Because of their sin. He didn't say spare the three months old because they're innocent. No, they were sinful. They're sinful. Now, you and me, we may have a view that looks at what God does with that three-month-old. And there may very well be a possibility that God in His sovereignty and in His mercy and in His grace pardons their sin somehow. But what we cannot say is that they are innocent. They're not innocent. Sin, it's who we are. It's built into our DNA. It's, it's part of us. We are enslaved to it. We are fallen. Descendants of Adam. And if we understand our slavery to sin and its great control over us, its ownership of us, 
then we are on our way to beginning to understand what freedom is. By the way, it is only by the grace of God who guards us and keeps us from being consumed by our own sin. Left to ourselves, we are incredibly sinful because it is who we are. In Christ, we are slaves of righteousness. Second point. So apart from Christ, we are slaves to sin. In Christ, we are slaves of righteousness. Verse 18 in Romans 6. Having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. We've been set free from being a slave of sin. Now we are a slave of righteousness. Now, at first read, that doesn't sound like an awesome deal. All right? First glance, wait, wait. So you're saying I was a slave before, and now you're saying I'm a slave again. That doesn't sound much like freedom. Understand that when we are in Jesus, what has happened is we have been bought. We've been purchased by the very blood of Christ. So here, stay with me for just a minute. God paid our life debt. We owed him everything. He is our creator, our sustainer. And so we, no longer our own, watch this, no longer our own, no longer enslaved to sin, in Christ, through his account, we now belong to him. We've been purchased, bought. The term Paul uses throughout Romans, throughout Galatians, is we've been adopted. We went from one family to another family. Now, this is important because if you see and understand it through belonging, you're going to get the point. Because we once belonged to the family of Adam and we were slaves to our sin. We couldn't do anything about it. You could not do a thing about it. You couldn't be good enough. You couldn't be right enough. You couldn't reconcile yourself with God. You're slaves to your sin. It's who you are. You are adopted. Set free from that, and now no longer belonging to the family of Adam, but belonging to the family of God. Through his account. Now here's why Paul's going to call you a slave. Because you belong to Christ. It is through his account. And just as much as we were enslaved to sin and could do nothing but sin, Christ can do nothing but righteousness. Because it's who he is. You with me? So our belonging has shifted. We are no longer anchored, slave to sin. Instead, we are slaves to righteousness through Christ. That's an amazing thing. We can't lose that because it's not based on us. It's based on Him. That's an important thing to catch. Second part this morning. If our salvation is rooted in belonging, a relationship with Christ, why then the law? Isn't that an important question? Why then the law? What was its purpose and why is it there? Paul says it was our guardian for a time, for a season. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Now listen to verse 24. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. 
Let me read one more verse to you. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. Paul is going to ask the very question that we're asking. Why then the law? He says this, verse 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring, Christ, should come to whom the promise had been made. A couple of things. The law guarded us from our own wickedness. The law is a very uh, merciful and graceful thing given to us by God. It guarded us. It protected us from ourselves. God used the law to not only reveal who He is, His standard, His perfection, but He also used the law to guard us from ourselves. Left to ourselves, watch this. How, man, we are an evil bunch. The law, that conscience, that, that idea of morality was a guard for us. And he says because of your transgressions. The easiest example, the, the most specific example I can think of off the top of my head uh, as I just read through this all the time is when Jesus is talking about divorce. And see, the Old Testament says that you can give a certificate of divorce in the case of adultery. Right? This is there. This is in Scripture. And when Jesus is talking, he says, he's asked this question. Why, why is this there then? Jesus says, listen, from the beginning it was not so. In other words, it's not its intended purpose. It's not what's right. But because of the hardness of your heart. Because of the hardness of your heart. Because even in our sin and our great evil, there are guardians. There are limits. There are, there are rules. There are structure to help us not go so far. Not because what we're doing is righteous and not because what we're doing is necessarily God-honoring, but it's to keep us from pursuing evil to no end. Second, the law didn't offer salvation, but it did point to the need for a Savior. It did point to the offspring that should come, that by faith we would be saved. It did point us forward to the need of a Savior because we recognized in the law we couldn't fulfill the law. It showed us the gap between us and God. It let us know we couldn't do it. I talked about my daughter, and I did maybe the most mean thing uh, a dad will do. We're at the zoo, and my daughter's in that stage where she thinks she knows everything. Like, we, you know, we all go through that stage. Like, I, I perpetually live in that stage, I think. My daughter's <laughs> in that stage, and um, it drives me a little crazy, just a little, little crazy. And so we're at the zoo, and she's not being defiant or really necessarily disobedient. She's just being wise in her own eyes. And everything is an argument. No, Dad, the giraffes are over here. I'm like, Lena, I can read the sign, child. You cannot read. It's over here. No, Dad, I really think they're over there. All day. All day. So this goes on for like an hour, hour and a half. And it's, it's kind of our dad-daughter date thing that we're doing. Finally, limit reached. I, we're sitting there and we're watching these sea lions or whatever. And Lena says, I want to go back over there and over there is like a three-minute walk all around the other side exhibit where there's a window and you can see underwater, but it's a different pool. And there's no sea lions in that pool. All the sea lions are in the other pool. 
where we're standing, and they're literally like right there. She can see them. It's not like, like they're coming up out of the water. She just wants to just do what she wants to do. I said, Lena, they're not over there. They're here. Yeah, Dad, I really think they are. Child, listen. They're right here in front of you. There's none over there. We're going to stay here. Dad, they're really over there. So here's what I said. This, this is probably not good parenting, okay? I own it. I said, Lena, here's the deal. I'll take you over there, and we can see them. If they're there, I'll give you two minutes. If they show up in two minutes, after we leave the zoo, I'll take you to get some ice cream. If they're not there, we're leaving right now. And we talked about there's a carousel, and there's all this other stuff that we hadn't done yet. She was really excited. We leave right now. I promise you, Lena, they're not over there. But I'll let you decide. Dad, they're over there. Let's go. We sit there, and about, and I'm timing it. In about the minute mark, you can see the concern beginning to build on her face. Two minutes comes by. I said, Lena, I'll give you an extra minute. Extra minute goes by, nothing there. She comes over to me. I pick her up. She's not going to throw a fit. That's really not my daughter. She's not her personality in that way. And she goes, Dad, I really thought they were there. And I said, Lena, you didn't trust me. I told you. So you thought you knew something, but you didn't know, right? So we walked through this whole thing at the zoo, this whole idea that it was there. Watch this. Do you know what my rule showed her? And by the way, her behavior's changed quite a bit since then. We've been doing, you know, you know what it showed her? She's not always right, and there's a cost to being wrong. It just was an example of that. Do you know what the law shows us? That we fall horribly short of the standard of God. We fall horribly short. And we need someone else to be our wisdom. We need someone else to be our Savior because we can't do it on our own. See, the law points to that need. It has a great purpose in our lives. Next, on the other side of that, I want you to see our eternal salvation that comes through the Christ. Continuing on in chapter 3 of Galatians, beginning in verse 25. But now faith has come. And we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now listen, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is a shot, by the way. You know those little hidden jabs that are there? Culturally, think about all those Jewish believers who had so much pride in that, man, I am a descendant of Abraham. I'm one of God's chosen people. Here's what Paul has to say. If you have placed faith in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. You are heirs according to the promise. Chapter 4, he goes on, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date is set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So that we might receive, here it is, adoption as sons. Listen, the law could not change our belonging. 
It couldn't change our family relationship. It could not reconcile us to God. We needed an adoption. And through Christ, we receive adoption as sons. Verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, or Father. So you are no longer a slave. No longer a slave to our sin. Listen, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Listen, we are no longer slaves. We are family. We are family. We've been purchased. And purchased for freedom. Freedom as a son. As a joint heir with Christ. And our sonship, listen, is not our own. We are internally enslaved to our sonship through the unchanging righteousness of Jesus. That's powerful. That is truth. Now listen, I know when you just read through that and you're just going through it and you're laying all that out, that doesn't just hit your emotions like that emotional story, but the truth of God's Word ought to compel us to be excited about the fact that we no longer belong to a family of Adam, but we belong to the family of God. That we have been adopted, that our lives have been changed, that we are no longer slaves, but we have been set free. This is what we sing, this is what we say. So part three, freedom comes through faith. So how does all this happen? It happens through faith alone. Galatians chapter 5, Paul goes on, beginning in verse 3, he says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. By the way, this is going to be a pretty strong challenge. You who are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Here's what he's saying. If you think it's Jesus plus something, you don't have faith. If you think it's Jesus plus something else, you don't know Jesus. See, it matters that we know the right Jesus. We can't just all say Jesus and let him mean whatever we want him to be. Jesus is an absolute truth. He is an absolute reality. We either know him or we don't. But we can't stick his name on something else and call it Jesus. Paul is saying that for those of us who would say Jesus plus something, Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus the law, Jesus plus a little bit of my righteousness, Jesus is 99% and I add the other one. For those of us who think that, we don't have saving faith. He says you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. It doesn't count for anything. But only faith, let me say it again, but only faith working through love. He goes on, Galatians 2.16, he says, We are justified by faith. Galatians 3, chapter 11, he says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous shall live by faith. Verse 26 of chapter 3, In Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Paul is making a huge argument that we are not saved, we are not reconciled, we are not set free by the law or by our effort. 
Not even the least bit. But through faith. That changes everything. So a few applications for us. First, being set free or faith in Christ. Do not turn back to what is weak. To the law or to what we would call legalism. Galatians chapter 4 verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God. Listen, here's the question. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to become once more? Because you observe days and months and seasons and years. In other words, you still hold on to these legalistic practices, thinking that somehow by doing these things, you add righteousness to yourself. That somehow in doing these kinds of things, that you somehow honor God more than through your faith. Man, that is challenging. And it's so easy for us to sit there and see legalism and law in someone else's life than to recognize where we hold it in ours. And most of the time, it's an excuse to justify our culture or our preference. People who really love Jesus, they sing this way. If you really love the Lord, you wear these kinds of clothes. If you, you get my point? We justify our culture. Listen, it's so easy to see those things in someone else, but it matters so much for us. And he says, why would you want to go back to that? Why? The second application, being set free, faith in Christ, do not use your freedom for evil or license the flesh. He says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Now listen, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Skipping to verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step or walk in the Spirit. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 2.16. He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom, here it is, as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. See, there's a movement that goes on that right now, it's in our churches. It's especially true if you're under the age of 30, okay? 35 down. Listen, you don't fight the same quite like legalistic pressure, I think, as a culture that our parents did for us we fight a culture that says you have grace and so you have license that we take that same faith and we make the same mistake that we run it to the other extreme that we say now we have a license i can do whatever i want i i have you know it's all grace it's not true it's just not true we are warned again and again to not use the grace that God has shown us to not use our freedom as license. And there's, that applies to so many things in our life. Paul says in Romans chapter 14, don't tear down your brother by what you eat or what you drink. There's so many different things that in our life we can call freedom, 
but it doesn't mean it's a license. And so there's, there's a balance there. So I don't know which one you struggle with. If you're like me, depending on the day, you probably go back and forth. But don't fall back into legalism and weakness and want to live as a slave. And don't so go run and make your freedom about you because you were not set free to yourself. That's not what freedom is as it's laid out in Scripture. Your freedom isn't freedom that you get to be and do whatever you want. Remember, you've been purchased with a price. You are not your own. You are not without a yoke. Christ said, give me your yoke, take mine. You still have a yoke. You still have a responsibility. And you can't run so far to set aside and say, I have license. The last thing, our last application for us this morning. Boast in the gospel. In the gospel alone. Galatians chapter 6. This is as Paul is coming to a conclusion of the epistle we're studying. And he says in verse 13, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised. Listen, why? Why? Why do they want you to be like them? What's in it for them? Here it is. That they may boast in your flesh, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Verse 15, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God. If we're going to boast in anything, don't boast in this idea of any self-righteous thought. Don't boast in any idea of our license or our freedom, but boast in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who while we were yet sinners and slaves to our sin, sent His Son to die on a cross and pay the life penalty owed, that through Him and through faith and faith alone in Him, we might be adopted, set free. For freedom in Him. Freedom as a son. Freedom as a joint heir in Christ. See, this is what it means. This is what it means to stand and to sing. For freedom, I have been set free. It is deep. It is heavy truth. But it ought to change our worldview. It ought to compel us to worship. It ought to compel us to boast in the gospel. Beyond any preference that we may have. Beyond any law or any self-righteousness we may want to lift up. Beyond any license or freedom that we think is worth something. I close as the guys come on up in just a minute. I want to read to you from Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. It's a very famous passage. It's probably the most famous passage in the book of Galatians. It's a passage many of us who've grown up in church know and know well. But I want you to hear it, not in just verse 20, but I want you to hear it in its context. Having said all that we've said this morning. Verse 19. Lord, open our hearts. Let us hear your word. May it change our lives. Verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. 
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. No longer a slave to my sin. But Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Now listen to verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Church, listen. Christ died for a purpose. That we might be set free from ourselves. You were once a slave to sin. You are now a slave of righteousness. You are now free in Christ Jesus, adopted as a son. It should compel us to worship. It should compel us to give thanks every day. And if you're here in this place, and that saving faith in that Jesus, if you've never made that decision, you are still enslaved to your sin. And there is a consequence to your sin that looms. Jesus has paid that price. And through faith in Him and faith alone, you can be set free. I pray this morning, if that's you, this morning would be the time that you would make that decision. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that You would give us wisdom from Your Word. That you would awaken in our spirit a time to worship and praise you. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who does not know you, who is still enslaved to their sin, Lord, I pray that the power of your word, the power of the gospel, would change their life. That this morning, through faith, childlike faith, they would cry out to you right where they're standing, and they would pray repenting of their sin, confessing it's who they are, and claiming you as Savior. But I pray that this morning you would change their life. And Lord, for those of us who are here, who that is true for us, I pray that this morning you would give us the wisdom to understand what we sing when we sing. For freedom we have been set free. That it may compel us to worship that it may compel us to not turn back, to not live in license, but to boast in the gospel and the gospel alone. Lord, we trust you with the responses of our heart this morning. We pray these things in the name of your Son, the name of Jesus. Would you stand, would you sing, and would you make this a time of personal response?